Welcome to the Call to the Pen podcast. I'm Michael Pallas. I'm a contributor on Call to the Pen. We've got Benjamin Chase and Dave Hill, experts of Call to the Pen. Welcome to the show, guys. All right, thank you. Um, so let's get right down to business. The Baseball Hall of Fame. Every year, there's something to gripe about, whether it's the Baseball Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the Hockey Hall of Fame, or the Basketball Hall of Fame. Everybody has something to gripe about. So let's get it out of the way, Edgar Martinez. <laughs> uh, just... Well, actually, you know what? Two guys this year. Two. And Fred McGriff. Well, yeah, that's... Uh, Fred McGriff had 23.2% of the vote, which is completely ridiculous, in my opinion. And he probably would have had more and been closer to 75 if they didn't have a strike in 1994 because he would have had 500 home runs. He was, and he was having a great year that year, too. And, and of course... Notwithstanding, the World Series was taken away from Montreal, but that's not, neither here well, nor there, because they probably would have won the National League that year. But Edgar yeah. Martinez, Edgar Martinez got 297 votes, 70.4 percent. How? And I mean, the the crud of it is, as you go into the last day, if you're watching the trackers that they have everywhere. You go into that last day, and he's sitting at like 77%. And you just don't see a drop that much for a guy. And it just stunk to start watching as more came in on the day of. And you start watching starting at 8 a.m., and it was just this progressive movement down. And it was about like 2 o'clock in the afternoon or so that I saw his number hit uh, 75 point something. I thought, oh, he's done. Like he's just, he's not going to get it. And that just, it, next year is his last year. Now I think he's got the push. He jumped what last 2017, he had 58.6%. So I mean, he jumped almost a clean 12%. Pretty sure he's going to get that last 5% bump, especially with clearing off, you know, Chipper Vlad and Tommy ahead of him and really, the only stud next year coming on is going to be Mariano. Oh, yeah, he's Nobody a lot. I mean, you could say Halliday is going to get on at some point. Is he a first ballot? That's a good conversation. But, I mean, Mariano's the only lock. I, I, would say, I would say Edgar's getting on next year. It just thinks that you got to wait until the very last year of his eligibility to finally put the guy on who's got the stinking award named after him. When the DH award is named after you, you should be in. You should be recognized in the Hall of Fame. You would think, but I don't know. that's kind of like my my my. I'm probably the only person in in the baseball media or the baseball fandom that looks. And Trevor Hoffman getting in this year as a as a farce. Hold on, because Lee Smith hasn't gotten in yet. I I struggle with closers. I really do. 
I mean, Mariano to me, and frankly, you know, Eckersley, really, Eckersley had kind of the, he had about a, a half of a case each way, enough to where you could make a case for him. Mariano's got the case. I, I really struggle with other closers. It's really tough to make that case with other closers just because when you look over the body of work, you know, Trevor Hoffman has pitched uh, what is, about a third of the innings of someone, you know, let's see here, he's got 1,089 innings. And look at some of the, you know, starters that fell off. You have Moyer who had 4,000 innings. You know, even Santana who, you know, hurt himself and lost out. He had double the innings. He had over 2,000 innings. You know, Chris Carpenter, who was injury-plagued his entire career, had over twice the innings at 2,200 innings. You know, those guys pitched twice as much in major league games as someone like Trevor Hoffman. And that's – now, do I respect his role? Absolutely. But it's really hard for me to say, gosh, is that guy as valuable as, you know, a third starter? Because in all seriousness, how many great closers – failed as third and fourth starters before they became closers. Mariano Rivera? Yeah, I mean, and that's just, like, Gagne. the list is long. I mean... The guy who you said is the guy who you said is a lock next year was a starter when he first came up to the majors. Exactly. My problem with Hoffman goes to Billy Wagner. Mm-hmm. I think Hoffman should have been a Hall of Famer. Wagner was better. You look at the strikeouts, you, you, know, you look at the overall numbers, Wagner was better than Hoffman. However, Hoffman got the 600 saves. Wagner's remembered for his playoff implosions. Well, but but, but Hoffman, also, Hoffman, Hoffman also didn't have the playoff record either. Right. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't, he didn't implode in the playoffs, but he didn't, he doesn't have enough of, he doesn't have the playoff record of Mariano Rivera because the Padres didn't make it that much. Right. While Wagner made the playoffs pretty routinely, just kept getting battered. And I think well, that's stuck into a lot of voters' minds because yeah. there's no reason Wagner should be sitting at 12 to 15 percent. Is that the same reason why Jeff Kent is sitting at 14.5? Uh, that one's ridiculous. I think that yeah. has more to do with Kent's personality yeah, and the absolutely. fact that he's brushed with PD King, even though, you know, he never got caught with anything. But, you know, he, I think he's looked at as benefiting from bonds, but Kent is still the best offensive second baseman in the history of the game. And, you can make that argument. You love the power numbers. He's got more homers than any other second baseman. Well, I, I'll give you that. I'll give you the home runs. I'm not sure as as an offensive package, Kent is the best because Kent didn't steal bases, and that was no. a big that was big in the '70s when Joe Morgan was playing, and Joe Morgan didn't hit in the middle of the order. He hit at the top of the order, so he wasn't expected to hit home runs. Well, you didn't expect second baseman or well infielders to hit for any type of power anyway in the seventies and eighties. 
you know, it's how guys like Raphael Belliard could survive for over a dozen years. They were just expected to catch the ball and occasionally run fast. And that's, I mean, really, you look at a guy like Kent, and, you know, I just was working on some stuff with um, Chuck Knobloch this last week, and if you look in the middle 90s, you had just this awesome group of second basemen. Knobloch fell off hard, and obviously not all famer. He, I mean, if he had kept up where he was at in, you know, the mid-90s with the Twins, that guy's an easy Hall of Famer because it's easy to argue he was better than Biggio, Alomar, Kent, and then you have guys like, you know, Carlos Baerga, who was in that same era. Um, you have, you know, Mike Lansing had a pretty good run in there for a while uh, that, I guess, you know, as part of that 94 Expos team, he actually was having one heck of a year. Um, but there were really, really good second basemen in the mid-'90s that that was really – people talk about the shortstop era that came just after it with Jeter and A-Rod and, and Nomar, but just ahead of that, just a couple of years, man, it was kind of a pretty glorious time for offensive second basemen. Yeah. And – Kent was a different breed of them, but he was among them, and I don't. I wonder how much of that clouds his his view because you could look at Biggio, Alomar, and Knobloch and compare them because they're hitting, you know, thirty doubles, ten triples, and ten fifteen home runs every year, and stealing thirty to forty bases with a good average and on base pretty easy to compare who had the best year if they're pretty much all having the same type of numbers. But then you get Kent who's hitting for good average and popping out 30 bombs. Well, that's right. a different guy altogether. You know, yeah, so how do you compare Kent him to the other guys? And, and no. he didn't, no. and he wasn't in the playoffs also because he was, he was on the Mets. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. And then went to the Giants and then you get the, you know, when you get to the Giants, it's well, you're only, Getting the number you because you bonds, yeah. Which, yeah, it's you still have to swing the bat, you still have to make contact with the ball, and that's not exactly an easy thing. So yeah, you you brought up you brought up you brought up PEDs. So I'm gonna jump in there. Bonds, Clemens, Ramirez. Yes or no? Ever? Yes, yes, and yes. Well, Ramirez that Ramirez was at 22 percent this year. So he's going to have to jump a lot. Clemens and Bonds didn't move up a lot this year. They they moved up three, two to three percent each. Yeah, sure. They getting through the BBWAA, getting through the Veterans Committee. Manny Manny actually dropped this year, um, percentage and a half. Now. He is one with, you know, essentially the twice failed. I could absolutely see Manny being a guy who has to go through Veterans Committee. But one of the things that I thought was very interesting and, you know, just knowing where the BBWAA comes from is a lot of those same members are also part of the Internet uh, baseball Writers of America, the IBWAA, and the IBWAA this year elected both Bonds and Clemens. 
they both cleared the 75% threshold, which that's a fairly big deal. I mean, for sports writers to have elected them in a national type of a body, that's, that says something. So there's some level of movement. Now, is there going to be enough time for those writers to get into the BBWAA and to get those same folks that are thrown in blank ballots or, you know, I only want to vote for quote-unquote clean players out, I don't know. And that's, you know, I did a whole long arse article on uh, the what exactly happened in the 90s with offense. And, yeah, you can say PEDs a lot. There was a lot of other stuff going on in that era, too. So Bonds, would he have been Bonds without PEDs? Do we know how what he took, how much he took? Don't know. And when he started? Yeah. I mean, they can say when he did. They, you know, a lot of people have an idea of why he did. They say, you know, well, it was be, all because of the, the uh, 98 home run race. Well, yeah, they said he started after that. And Clemens did also, or well, according think, to reports. I think it was yeah. six for Clemens. I think it was, it was in the second half of 96 because he met McNamee then. He was absolutely awful with the Red Sox in the first half. After meeting McNamee, he was 8-1 with an ERA in the dude. Yeah. And then you have the other guy who I, who has kind of got a tie-in with the PEDs is Sheffield. And he dropped enough. He dropped two percent this year, um, which, you know, that's kind of a cruddy deal for him too, because that is he is one of the more. I mean, really, Sheffield and Manny are two of the more gifted right-handed hitters that I've ever seen play in the game. I mean, just whether whatever they were using they were able to put a bat to the ball better than any person I've seen from the right-handed side. And then, of course, you add in Edgar. You have three people who are, did not make it this year from the right-handed side of the box that are as good as anyone that has come in the last 30, 40 years to play the game, you know, for hitting from the right-hand side. And they're all sitting there waiting still to get into the Hall of Fame with numbers that should make it. Right. The three the – three... Right-handed hitters that didn't make it. Edgar Martinez, Manny Ramirez, and Gary Sheffield are three of the best right-handed hitters I've ever seen. I mean, you could throw in Sammy Sosa as another guy who's got the numbers. He's obviously a guy who he put up a ton of those numbers in a real short time. I get a little more of that animosity. There's a, I, can, I can respect that a lot more. Um, Especially the way he's tenure with the Cubs ended. Well, yeah. Walk, yeah. Walking out on the team after 13 minutes. Yeah, just that complete, complete, I don't care. I'm better than you, dude. I very much understand that. But that's, yeah. you know, and but the other three, there's just, I mean, with the numbers they have, the, the t- I mean, just, it is hard for someone like me who does scouting type of stuff, I don't see people who hit a ball the way that those three could hit a ball ever. You know, that just never happens when I'm watching people swing a bat. It just doesn't happen. And 
to have had three of them in the game at around the same time, and then you add in Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera, to have had you know a handful who were relative contemporaries. We've seen you know five of maybe the best right-handed pure hitters in, in you could say a century, and not be too crazy about that comment. And yet, three of them or two of them right now couldn't garner a quarter of a, you know, could not garner 25% for the Hall of Fame this year. That's just nuts to me. On the on the Hall of Fame telecast, at the end, after they did the voting, they said they went around the room with the, vo- the guys who were voters, Peter Gammons, jo- John Heyman, and I can't remember the other two off the top of my head. And they said one thing you would change in the Hall of Fame process. And I believe it was Heyman that said, get rid of the dropping off the ballot under 5%. I I think it's under 5%, right? Yep, 5%. Yeah, yeah. Uh, What do you think about that idea? There has to be a threshold. Yeah. Well, somebody said somebody. I don't remember who it was, but one of the guys said the threshold should be one percent. Nah, nah. Because you would get you'd get guys like you know getting three votes on the ballot. I, I think it's got to be around at least three percent. There are players that have gone into the hall that only had like a vote or two under different rules that ended up being voted in by the BBWAA. But, you know, different errors, different times. Yeah. I think 5% is fine. I think that there needs to be a change in the voting process and there needs to be a change in mindset for some of these voters. I think the framework is fine. It's just I don't think that in some cases the voters, I think the voters take themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have the guy that put in the all-Cleveland ballot with Tomei and Vizquel. Murray Chaz was voted for two guys in the last five years. Yeah. You know, you got people that won't vote for Chipper Jones or Ken Griffey Jr. or George Brett because I don't vote for anyone on the first ballot. Or you it's got ridiculous. guys, or you got guys that know who was voted for, and they'll and and they'll won't vote for somebody to keep them off a hundred percent because Babe Ruth didn't get a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. or on the flip side, the doubt. You know, this was actually mentioned on the on the telecast with the advent of the trackers. One of the downfalls of that is it, when it's released ahead of the balloting or ahead of the ballot due date, a guy like Andrew Jones was actually polling below uh, Johan Santana and Johnny Damon at one point. Yeah, and, that's what I was going to say. That's where that's where some of the Martinez votes went to. I mean, he ended up pulling up, you know, to where he finished at 7.3%. You know, do I, I absolutely – I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, I was going to say, that you, there's – no reason Andrew Jones is not considered a lot more, but then again, you look at this ballot, I can make a really good argument for a, 
pretty much everyone that's going to be on next year, there's a pretty decent argument. Um, but the, the fact Jones. that the fact that he needed that kind of a push, but at the same time, the fact that that other voters were looking at what other people had voted and then made their decision to vote for Andrew because they saw he might fall off of the ballot. To me, well, that is that a legitimate reason, though? Because if they think he's a Hall of Famer, but they don't want... Is that a legitimate reason, though? Because if they think he's a Hall of Famer, and they want to make sure he stays on the ballot so they can vote for him another time, is that a legitimate reason? Then vote for him this year. But, the but problem, then he's, he should be one of your 10, though. Because he's the 10. You know what I mean? That's the problem. Is Now, what I will say is they said something to the effect of, on average, I think like 7.8 spots were used. So And they had more 10-person ballots than they've ever recorded. So They had John Heyman. John Heyman said he would have voted for Edgar Martinez if he had an 11th spot. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's part of the issue here really is like I said, you can make a decent argument for a lot of these guys that are, frankly, you can make an argument for a few guys that are, that aren't going to be on the ballot next year. Yeah. Johnny Damon is my one and done off this year's ballot. that I thought was yep. an absolute farce. I, I don't think he's a hall of famer though. I think he deserved a lot more than however many votes he got. Um, well, yeah. There's 11 players in baseball history with 2,500 hits, 200 homers, 100 triples. Ten are in the Hall of Fame. Eleven, it's Johnny Damon. Yeah. And we're talking you know, big-time Hall of Fame guys like Ruth, Gehrig, you know, some of the best of the best. Ruth had 100 triples? Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> It's crazy when you look I've back never at his looked career. Up, I've, never looked, up, I've oh. never looked at his triple stats. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. He had like seven or eight a year. It was ridiculous. It's like how David Ortiz had one triple a year for a dozen years. <laughs> but ballparks oh, or, were much bigger. Well, and somehow Brian McCann has been a guy who has somehow snuck out like a couple in some yeah. years. <laughs> But, but Damon is in that group with 10 Hall of Famers and five or six of our inner circle guys. He deserved yeah. more than one year. Yeah. Well, and and you have guys like Kenny Lofton who fell off in a similar manner. And that's Ted just... Ted Simmons. You know, yeah. I mean, those guys are tremendous ball players, And the downfall of this is, in, you know, Lou Whitaker... I would have loved to see. I absolutely think that Alan Trammell was a good choice from the Veterans Committee. Yeah, they got I, one of two right. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I cover the Twins, and Twins fans would not like me for saying that Jack Morris isn't a guy who deserved, but not over Whitaker. Not over Whitaker, he didn't. And not it would have been Whitaker, not over Simmons. Oh, no. Now, it actually kind of would have been fitting to have Whitaker and Trammell go in the same year. That would have been yeah. kind of a neat thing. Who, who were the finalists? But, for the Veterans Committee? Um, Simmons, uh, Trammell, Morris, um, Parker was in there. Um, Garvey was one, wasn't he? Garvey was one. 
Al Oliver maybe. Um, I don't I don't remember them all off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, but I remember looking at that list, and to me, Boris maybe seventh. Ma- managers get voted in by the Veterans Committee, right? Yes. Steinbrenner right, was I, on I, it, I think. I I don't know. When when do managers become eligible? Is it the same five year rule, or can they get voted in when they're active? You don't see it anymore for active. Um, I think it's three or five years. Because I have I have let let's end this this with a question. Every single manager in the history of baseball who has won at least three World Series titles is in the Hall of Fame. There's a current active manager who has three World Series titles. Is he a Hall of Famer? Absolutely. Bruce as Bochy. much as I absolutely hate him for 2014, absolutely. Yeah, I, I do not. I agree. See, I agree that yeah. he is. I just wanted to hear what you guys yeah. what you guys thought. Yeah, I, I think he, every single manager has three. Every single yeah, manager I, who has three is in. So, and you know, and you can take, you know, while people will say that Larusa revolutionized uh, bullpen usage, there there is no one in the modern game, you know, or in the current game, who has done it better when it mattered than he has, as far as utilizing his pitching. Now, sometimes he's held on to an ace when he had an ace for a long time but that was also knowing when his pitcher had it best. You know, he let he let Bumgarner go for as long as Bumgarner could and knew yeah. the right time to pull him at times when he needed to pull him. You know, that's... He played that 14 World Series perfectly. You know, he, he was the he, difference, knowing when to use Bumgarner. And he just, he just seemed to have the touch, you know, he'd have three lefties in the bullpen and knew which one was the perfect one to bring in for a certain spot. It was just, that's, he's, that is, if nothing else, one of the, the, the thing that I will remember about Boshi as a manager, but yeah, he's definitely a guy that, he's definitely a Hall of Famer to me. All right, that, that concludes the Hall of Fame conversation, but let's close the show on a rule change. Thumbs up, thumbs down. The 20-second pitch clock. Oof. Oof. <laughs> it's, the first time, it's the first time Major League Baseball will ever have a clock in their game. Yeah. So, yes, or thumbs up or thumbs down? Or, or is it a wait and see? I want to see it in training. Because yeah, it works I, in the minors, so... I, I, I watch so much minor league baseball, it is really not even noticeable anymore in the minors. However, I can tell you watching the fall league the first year it was put in, it was a freaking disaster. And I am really worried what April and May are going to look like in the major leagues. Um, it's, it's funny how divided no. the opinion of the pitchers are. Chris Sale oh. absolutely wants this. Yeah. Um, then you have yeah. guys like McHugh who want no part of it. And McCullers is another one who's just, re- and he's one who pitched, has pitched with it in the minors. 
Yeah. And he is just anti-pitch clock. Uh, I, I'm actually one of those p- proponents. I, I, I think I like the pitch clock, but I'm a wait-and-see guy to put my thumb up or thumb down. And I actually heard an interesting interview on WFAN uh, last week, and it was John Smoltz said it wasn't – the issue with the pitchers isn't the uh, – isn't the the amount of time they take? It's the number of pitchers they need to get through a baseball game. Yeah. That's what's ma- that's what's taking so long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tony oh yeah. He said. Yeah. It, I think. I think he said it was. Uh, it takes an average baseball team twice as many pitchers a season as it used to ten years ago. Oh yeah. Well, and if if you want to look at what games take the longest. If you go through and look, um, there was a game the Twins and Padres played earlier this year uh, or this this past season, and it was done. And it was, I mean, it was a. I think there were five or six runs for each team, but it was a matter of the the starting pitcher pitched into the seventh inning for both teams, and the game was done in under three hours. You had 10 runs scored in the game, and it got done in less than three hours. Reason being, when they brought in relievers, the Padres pitched two pitchers that day. They brought in a reliever that then pitched two innings once he got in. The Twins brought in two other relievers, or two relievers. I mean, the game just went so quickly because they didn't have that time that they would have to spend to bring in a reliever every time, especially in the middle of an inning. That is when it really eats up time on the the game clock as far as taking the time of a game over over and over and over is when you bring in a, a relief pitcher in the middle of an inning oh that just eats up all kinds of time because they got to get their pitches in and, and then of course everyone's got to throw the ball around the infield a, a time or two and then have a pep talk with the pitcher before he faces his first batter and and then of course that usually means that we got to pull a, a hitter you know, one or two down the way for a pinch hitter, and then that's usually going to mean a jockeying for a different reliever. It's just it turns into this whole you know back and forth and back and forth, and and then so it just any yeah, it just, Yankees game. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's just it. That's that's why those games take so long. So, well, that's the show. That's the first show back since when was the last episode? August. Um, this summer. July or August. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the show. It's uh, Dave Hill, Benjamin Chase, and I'm Michael Powers. We'll be back next week, and we're going to have a third expert from Call to the Pen on the show. So uh, be back with us next week, and have a great week, everyone. <laughs>